Hey everybody, Mike Lejeune here with Game Changers for Government Contractors, and I have my good friend and one of our coaches, Mr. Rich Ernest, here today. Rich is going to be talking about a very, I will put it a controversial topic of equity as compensation for sales BD folks. It's something that we have both seen as a hot topic. We're not necessarily fans of it, but we want to get in and talk about it because I know it's something a lot of people are considering and we want to go through the pros and cons. If you do decide to go down this route, I think these are some really good guardrails that we're going to talk about today. But before we do that, Rich, take a minute here, tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do. Thank you, Rich Ernest. And I've been working in the GovCon space now for about 20 years, cut my teeth on some contracts with the VA starting in 2004 and was successful in selling our company to a Fortune 100 company. Since then, been helping other people win government contracts through teaching tactics and strategies as a certified government sales coach with RSM Federal. That's awesome. As you were saying that, I was thinking, you know, we should do a podcast on what you went through during that sale. I think people okay. would be really intrigued to hear how you positioned to sell the company, how that all went down. I mean, I've gone through some big sales. I, I was part of GTE back in the day when they sold and we became General Dynamics and then they sold our division to this teeny tiny little company. And so I went from big to really small and that was an interesting transition. I've never gone through what you're talking about of selling your own company that you have a stake in. And so that, that'll be a good podcast for the future. This one came up because we were on one of our live inner circle calls a couple weeks ago. By the way, if you're not part of federal access yet, you should be. We have these once a month calls where we hop on and we talk about a topic. We were talking about sales compensation and hiring business developers. And this topic came up. It was about giving equity to kind of lure in some of the top business developers because a lot of people feel like, hey, I want to bring in that top business developer, but I can't compensate them enough to lure them away. And this topic came up. There were a lot of pros and cons to it. I think you and I pretty much fall on the same side of this one of not liking the concept for a lot of reasons. And we can get into that first, but at the end of the day, people are going to do this anyway. They're going to do it. So we're like, Hey, let's throw together a podcast where we talk about the pros and cons, how to do it effectively, or, or at least the most effective ways to do it. Why don't you kind of kick us off with your thoughts on why you don't like this model? First, I would say that it isn't because I have experienced anything that's model. It's, it's really because of I've seen other people and what their experiences are as through the years and just growing, I've gotten more to where I want to be in control of my own destiny. So I'll talk a little bit about that. If you are going to think about accepting equity, that equity is worth something. Just as if your compensation for your base salary or commission, it does have a value. But unfortunately, that value, in my opinion, it's control. The control of what value that has is in other people's hands besides your own. So if you're a business developer and you have decided to accept a position of equity in a company as part of your compensation, you are not the only person that controls the destiny of that equity. And most likely, you have no control over it. You may be able to give your opinion, but the majority control is going to be with owners that have collectively 51%. So they can make decisions that could greatly affect your equity. So that's why it's just not something that I would accept. Our company that we sold, 
had two partners. We all worked really well together. We actually brought in somebody and gave them equity. I am surprised it went so well after I've seen all the horror stories of see everything else. We were just blessed, but normally that isn't the end result. I, I hear too many other stories where it gets really bad. I want to be in control of my own destiny. Pay me a base, pay me a commission, and then I'll do with that money what I think is important. I will invest it myself. I will invest in myself. That's why I think it's just more important. I 100% agree. And not only that, I think using this as a main tool of compensation and the main thought process behind an owner, it's not repeatable. Or should I say it's only repeatable to a certain degree, right? There's only so much equity in the company. So it's not a scalable mm -hmm. solution. So I, I think it's one of those things where if this is something you ever consider, it needs to be a rare occasion that you would give up equity in your company to bring on somebody, regardless of whether they're doing business development for you or they're just some other type of partner. Giving up equity in your company needs to be a last resort most of the time. Because you only have so much. Once you've given up 100% of the company, there's nothing else to get at that point. I think that's one of the considerations people don't have up front is, oh, well, I'm just going to do this this one time. Well, what if you want to keep growing? How are you going to grow the next time? You don't have a model that you can replicate to bring on the next BD person and the next BD person. That out of the gates, one of the challenges I see with it, another challenge that I see with it is probably our, our first main topic here about both people having the right skin in the game, there needs to be a balance in there because often it's very lopsided is the way I see mm -hmm. it. Talk to me about that. If you're struggling with your government contracting business, I want to encourage you today to go sign up for a free coaching session with me. You can go in the description of this podcast. There's a link to my calendar and you can go pick a time where we can sit down for 30 minutes, talk about what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong, what you should change. And then if coaching makes sense for you, I'll actually go over the options on how you can get started with coaching so we can take your business to the next level. Now let's get back into this episode. When I was first starting as a government sales professional and helping other people win contracts, there are plenty of company owners, usually startups, that said, why don't I just pay you a success fee? No mm. base, no nothing, just a success fee, just a commission. And I said, what skin in the game do you have? I can put 40 hours into this technical proposal, give you 10 hours of counsel on where you need to put the price. But at the end of the day, it's your company. So you're going to decide where you put that price. And that could nullify all the work that I've done. So the control and the skin is lopsided. The skin in the game all belongs to the BD professional. On the other hand, if you have a company that just decides, I'm just going to pay base salary. I'm not going to deal with this commission stuff. Or they could be short-sighted and think, that's my money. I'm just going to pay in base. I'm not going to share any success. Well, then that's lopsided too, because as a BD professional getting a salary, I could put in a shoddy proposal. I'm getting paid regardless. Right. So there's no skin in the game for the BD professional. It's all with the owner. So the best thing to do is have some type of balance that I would add is predetermined before you actually start employment, whether that's base, mission, equity, make sure it's all laid out. I talked to a client the other day and they said, yeah, we're still figuring out that commission structure after they've already hired the mm. employee. That can go south real quick. I, I mean, I hope it works out for them, but I would never suggest that. I know I, you got to work things out. If you got to work that out, then you just say, 
well, I'm hiring you at base. That's it. That's all you're getting. Hire them. Keep that other commission thought to yourself until you have a plan, then present it to them. So they're not expecting something else. 100% agree. And, you know, I've worked for two, maybe three companies that they put in their agreement. The details of your compensation plan will be finalized within the first 30 days of your employment. When I did that, I was much younger than I am. And guess what happened in the first 30 days of the employment? The first 90 days, the first six months, it wasn't finalized. I was in a situation every time where like, I'm providing value, I'm closing sales, and I'm not getting commission on it because we don't have a plan in place. I always wound up being the one with the short end of that deal every single time. So if you're on the BD side of this conversation, because there's two very distinct conversations here. There's the BD person that's listening and there's the owner that's listening. If you're on the BD side, don't accept that. If it's not in your agreement, it's probably not going to be in your agreement, at least not quickly. There's that one. You're talking about being lopsided. We were working with a client recently in the last six months. It was wild because they were like, we have such a high turnover for our salespeople. Everybody lasts about six months and then we have to cut them. We started going through the job description and everything and everything looked good until we got to the compensation. And when we looked at the compensation, I'm like, well, this is the problem right here. I'm like, what, what do you mean? We're giving a good base salary. I'm like, you're giving a CEO salary. They were offering, I think it was $265,000 as the base salary with a small commission plan. It was really small at plan. The person would make like 300 grand. Like it was ridiculous, right? Like anybody that I know that is out of a job would bend over backwards, would lie to their grandmother to get this job because it's $265,000. You're attracting everybody under the sun, regardless of qualifications. And then they're not doing a good job. You're not monitoring them and they ultimately fail and you got to kick them to the curb and it's just costing you a fortune. And so that was one that I saw that was, this is so lopsided. It was somewhat lopsided in in the BD person's favor there. That can be really wild. So I I think the skin in the game is, is really important. While we're talking agreement, why don't we kind of dig into that a little bit? The agreement is the guardrails ultimately for the relationship. What are some things that you think are important to be in there for both the CEO business owner and the BD professional? One thing, and again, learning about this through just seeing other folks pain when they didn't do it is had a client that they'd given a small piece of equity to essentially their best friend. And that company, he was working with the company and it didn't work out. It just did not work out. And he left and he came back and said he wanted to be compensated for his equity. Well, there was nothing set in stone before he was hired saying what the company was worth. So he threw out a number and it took a court and lawyers to figure out or I think they settled out of court, but it took that process to figure out what that number was. Mm. Instead, I would suggest that the company owner or owners put together some type of formula that specifically says how much their stock is worth. That could be a variable such as contracts that company has, cash on hand, equipment, real estate, please don't ask me what that formula is. I would encourage you to talk to a CPA accountant about those things, but use that as a way to compute what the stock value is through an audited financial statement 
And then whatever percentage that that employee owns, they would be paid that amount. Now, just because we've predetermined all that still doesn't mean if I'm a business owner, I have the cash on hand to go pay that person off just because that's there. So as a company owner, that still exposes me because I'm going to have to go get a loan to pay this person off. You're still exposed even if you plan that far ahead. But if you're going to do it, make sure that you plan that far ahead, that you have the agreement that one, if you leave, this is what you're going to be paid in equity. Two, if you pass, if you die, that your estate cannot inherit that stock. It will be inheriting the value of that stock. So there will be a payout upon death. And finally, if you're looking at this as a possible way to compensate folks, you also need to consider what it's going to do to your set-aside status. Because if you get new ownership, it doesn't matter if you even just give them 5 or 10%. You need to resubmit for your small business set-aside. Whether you're SDVOSB, 8A, WOSB, this is SBA language. Mm -hmm. And I will add, I don't think I said this in the beginning, I am not a lawyer. What I'm right. talking to you about is what I've learned through reading and through research and what I've experienced. So if you want a real read on your business, I would suggest that you talk to some counsel. We know some good counsel. Talk mm -hmm. to us offline if you want to know who that yeah. is. And if you're 8A, there's even the component of if that person is not disadvantaged or has, or has advantage, that is brought into it as well. So 8A even has its own component. If I had an SDVUSB set aside or an 8A, even though we all say it's not our value, I wouldn't want anything to mess with it. Right. I wouldn't want any red flag. So I'd just say, ain't happening. Again, right. back to why I wouldn't do equity. There's actually been several court cases recently that I've seen where, and this is going to sound silly, they didn't calculate the percentage properly when they gave shares. Instead of giving up what they thought was only 49% of the company, they actually gave up 60% because their math was off. You could think, oh, well, that's silly, Mike. That would never happen. There's multi-million dollar companies that have done it. It happens. Just right. be careful. Check your math. Do the percentages. <laughs> it's mind-boggling to me that people can't do simple percentage math and they're running $50 million companies, but I've seen it happen. It's also people think, well, I didn't give up more than 51% of the company. I still own 51%. They're not going to have a problem with me. I have seen companies that give up 1% of their company. They still own 99% and the SBA comes back and hounds them for documentation and says, we need proof that you didn't give up control because you can say, well, I only give up 1%. Yeah, we still want proof. We need letters. Yeah. We need to verify. We need this. We need that. I think the most egregious thing that I've seen, and I don't know if I've covered in this podcast yet, so bear with me here. One of the most egregious things I've seen of overreach from the SBA, uh, I saw a married couple when they applied for their WSB, the SBA came back and said, well, since you're married, technically, if you were to get a divorce, your husband is entitled to 50% of the company. They said, we need him to sign something saying in a divorce, he will not ask for 50% of the company. They made her give up 1% of the company to him and him sign a letter saying if they ever got divorced, they wouldn't do it. To me, I would have told the SBA where to shove that. That's mm -hmm. just me. I think there's no way the SBA should have been allowed to do that. I'd have probably brought some sort of legal action on them because they're talking about a hypothetical that hasn't happened. 
you get down to the hypothetical and it does happen or mm-hmm. it becomes reality, then I could see the SBA stepping in and saying, hey, you're going to lose your status if he doesn't agree to this, but not mm-hmm. before, you know, while they're happily married. That could cause a marriage to become unhappy very quickly. Oh, right. 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 right? Which is the reason why we need agreements up front, because when you start talking agreements on the back end, that causes a lot of problems. To your example there, I have a really good friend that him and a couple of buddies started their company in their garage, literally in their garage. Three of them equally split. They started growing, realized they needed money. One of them brought in a money man. That's what they call him. We call him the money man. The money man came in, took 51% of the company, but he took it from in their garage to now they have a monster facility. They're doing millions of dollars in revenue. But guess what happened? One of the original three, since they got to that certain level and they're all making money, has just decided, you know what? I just want to cash in my chips. And they didn't have a formula. So they've spent the last year and a half going back and forth with lawyers. And they've had the issue of this guy's not showing up to work. He's not doing anything. And he's like, I'm one of the owners. There's nothing in my agreement says I have to show up to work. Nothing in my agreement says I have to do anything. You guys need to compensate me. And now that instead of us being a fifty, sixty thousand dollar company out of a garage, but we're a six million dollar company. This could be valued at sixty million dollars. I want my three to five million dollars and I want it now. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we don't have that kind of money. They've been in this limbo with this key ownership person here for months and months and months with no end in sight because they can't figure out and the lawyers want more money and all that kind of stuff. So I highly recommend having a really good solid agreement that discusses that. Part of that's just the exit strategy. I decide I want to move on and do something else. How are you going to buy me Mm -hmm. out? Is it going to be based on my original equity into the business contribution? Is it going to be based on current value? There's a lot of ways there. We've talked about some of the downsides. One of the ones we haven't talked about is a profit versus revenue one, which is probably my favorite one. Why don't you take us into that one? And then we'll talk how we can make this work. Okay. So again, from my own experience too, and thank goodness that the people I was working with were good people and it worked out for me. But as I was looking at the whole model and figuring out, said, well, I'm never going to sign that agreement again, is what I'm, I'm trying to say, just because it, it's flawed. If there is some type of commission structure, be sure that that commission structure is based on revenue. It's based on the value of the contract. If they try to pull something in like, we're going to give you a profit sharing, so you're going to get a percentage of the profit, run away. And the reason why is because you can't control the budget. You ultimately can't control the price. If you're chasing after something, it's based on profit and they didn't do a good job pricing it or something comes along in the market later that is a problem, whether you know labor rates go up, whatever you're in, commodities, those things go up. What are you going to be left with? You can't control that. Sometimes it has nothing to do with prices going up. It's bad management. Your your company that you're working with is not managing that contract well enough. And so the profit's being eaten away, which is no consequence of anything that you've done. That's why it's important. Use your commissions based on revenue. If they say, oh, I can't give up 3% of my 5% profit on this to you. Well, that's a red flag right there. You bake that in. You bake that into your price. That doesn't come out of profit or what you keep. That's something that you add on top. I still believe you can be competitive when you do that. 
you're just deciding to pay people in different ways. Either right. you can pay them the salary, which is going to be overhead, or you can pay them the commission, which is going to be overhead. Just make sure you count it as overhead. Commissions aren't profit. Commissions are overhead. I, I think a lot of people like this model, the profit percentage model, because they are afraid that the salesperson, BD person, whatever you want to call them, is going to give discounts to close the deal. They're going to give these discounts and the discounts come right out of our profit is how it is. And that's not how it works in government. If it is, then maybe your BD person has too much control over the process. Mm -hmm. You know, if they're writing the proposal in a vacuum and they're the ones doing the pricing and trying to give some deep discount to get the deal, there's a whole lot of reasons why that's wrong. We can't mm -hmm. do that. It's going to throw off a lot of issues, especially if you have a GSA schedule. It can create a lot of havoc. In this situation, they need to have input from the team on it to control that, to make sure the profit's there. What mm -hmm. I've seen a few times, I've seen both sides, where one, it was a shady one, where the company did everything in their power to eat up the profit so that mm -hmm. they paid out less commission. I mean, they were coming up with fees and things and all kind of garbage to eat up the profit mm -hmm. so that they just wrote a small check. And that was very clearly just a bad company, bad mm -hmm. intentions all the way around. And I've seen situations where the engineering team, the service team was not good for whatever reason. And mm -hmm. there were issues where the government was coming back and saying, hey, we're going to lower this order now. We want a refund. You know, there's all kinds of mm -hmm. issues. And so next thing you know, even though the person had closed the contract, now the company was losing the contract because of the way the company had performed on it. And that was way outside the control of that salesperson too. And now they were either losing their commission or having to pay it back. Things like that, that are completely out of the salesperson's control. Cause they're like, Hey, well, there's no more profit in here. In fact, we're in the negative, you know, we should take commission from you, you know, but we're only going to go to what we gave you. There's things like that, that can cause a problem in your pay. Really. I had a company that when I left, this was 20 something years ago, when I left, I had a contract. It was about a $2 million contract that I was getting commission on. What they did was after I left, because they didn't want to pay me, they went back to the company or the, the government and said, let's renegotiate the contract under a new contract. We're going to roll mm -hmm. it into this new contract. And when we roll it in the new contract, this existing one's going to drop from $2 million to about 150000 because that's all that's left on it. And we'll put it mm -hmm. all on this new contract. There's some times where things like that will happen. And I'm like, no, it closed at $2 million. You owe commission on $2 million. You can't mess with your people, no matter who they are. That's a great point, Mike. And it's based on the contract award when it was awarded, not renegotiations. A lot of situations like that. I think for me, I don't know what your thoughts are, but I, I think what I've seen is the most successful times where this works is actually when it's not on the table out of the gate or if it's an option, but it's like, hey, we're willing to give equity in the company if you hit these milestones. The milestones are laid out very, very clear so that they know we come in and we hit 50% of our commission in the first six months or whatever it is. We hit our commission mark in the first year and we get an equity share in the company and we roll it out over a couple of years so that they are incentivized to stay. It, it's more of like the stock option type of thing that you would mm -hmm. get in any other big company versus, hey, you're just going to have this out of the gate and we got to start doing math right away. I think a slower mm -hmm. thing, like, let's see if this relationship is going to work. And if we're six months or a year in and we're not hitting those milestones and you're not happy and we're not happy, 
we can just shake hands and walk away friends instead of having to go and calculate something based on no results. That's the thing that always bothers me. You're going to give up this based on the concept that there's going to be a result that you're going to be happy with. Like it's a guaranteed thing. And everybody can have really good intentions and the person steps into your company and for whatever reason, they're just swinging and missing. They're not getting anything. And now you owe this person 10%, 5%, whatever it is of your company, even though they've been a complete failure. And I don't think that's fair to the owner. Exactly. I tell my coaching clients, they come to a meeting and they say, well, I think I'm going to get into a JV with this company. I said, have you done any work with them as a sub? Have they done any work with you as a sub? Oh, no, I just know this person. And we met at a networking event. Might want to hold hands before you kiss. What I tell them, why don't you just see if you can work together with them? And again, back to I've seen it happen. I saw a multi-million dollar company losing multi-million dollar contract because their JV relationship went south, their SDVOSB JV relationship. They couldn't bid on their own contract because it was set aside for SDVOSB. They were a large business. So they lost their own contract because I don't believe they did the due diligence with that company. If I had one, as we start to wrap up here, one major final thought, it's exactly what you just said. Taking the time to do the due diligence on this to make sure it's the right move for you. So many people are in a rush to get married that they don't date. Let's just move to the front of the line and get this done because everything's going to work out. I had a call yesterday. It was probably my third, fourth call of the week where somebody said, well, I heard you can accelerate your market entry if you just get into a mentor protege. Maybe, maybe, but if you've never been in government, you don't even know who the primes are. And their thought process was, well, basically what I read on the website was if you just sign up on the SBA's website, they'll find a prime for you, kind of like matchmaking, and I'll get to choose. We'll be off to the races. I'm like, yeah, it's not how it works. Not no. how it works. You know, there are some ways to accelerate that way, but there's also just a lot of challenges like you were saying there. So what are your tips? If you had a, a couple of final tips here on this can work if you do these two or three things. I mean, we've talked about a bunch in general of how to protect yourself, but are there two or three things that you'd say, if you do these two or three, there's a good chance that this will work. This is my opinion. Even though it doesn't still preclude problems, there needs to be some type of relationship beforehand. It can't be to somebody mm-hmm. where you meet again at a networking event and you're like, well, you know, why don't we talk? And next thing you know, we're talking about equity. Instead, it needs to be somebody maybe has already worked for your company. They may have worked for your company for 10 years. That equity might make sense. In the case that it's a family business and you have children or brothers or sisters and they've been working in the business for a while, that might make sense to just avoid the complete stranger thing. Yeah. If they're complete strangers, don't even consider it. Just give them totally a agree. basing commission. Just make sure you are talking with your business lawyer. Don't be searching the internet for advice. Have them look at your specific case. Keep your accountant close in this thing and be willing to pay people the money it takes to do this due diligence for you. And you think, God, it's expensive and I don't like lawyers or whatever. Well, they have a purpose. And a lot of times they end up saving us money later if we do the due diligence and we do the preemptive work. So that's number two. Number three, go with your gut. Go with your gut. That's after one and two. Don't go with your gut three. But if something just doesn't feel right after those two things, don't do it. Don't do it. I know that Josh says, don't go with your gut at all when it comes to this. 
and, and I agree with you, but there will be a part that you're going to feel it. You're going to feel it yeah. right here if it just isn't right. Just from my experience watching business owners, I think if they go through steps one and two and they have put some investment in that, you know, so they've paid their attorney, they paid their accountant, they feel like they have enough of an investment that they don't want to walk away because of that. Like, look, <laughs> you put in three or $4,000, maybe, maybe three or $4,000, maybe not that much. Maybe it's twice that much. Maybe you put in 10 grand and you get to a point where you're like, something isn't right in the background check something doesn't feel right. They're asking for too much. You know, they're starting off being difficult. My favorite Shark Tank line, how it begins, how it ends. And if you're going in and you're uneasy, and I think that trust your gut after you've gone through those first two steps is really powerful because you know you're making a bad decision. And if you're right. out five, 10 grand, that's one thing. That's a hell of a lot better than being out $3 million because you've given up a portion of the company. The company takes off. You've got somebody who's not pulling their weight and now you've got to buy them out of a contract six months in, nine months in, yeah. whatever it is, that sort of thing. Making sure that you trust your gut is, I think, critical in this. I think when I look at what makes this stuff successful, I think you can take somebody you don't know, bring them in, just pay them like you're talking. And then if they do a really good job, if you're blown away and the and equity was off the table, I think mm -hmm. that's a great opportunity to offer them equity. Or if you mm -hmm. have somebody on the team that's doing really well already in a sales position and you're like, maybe Rich is just not motivated enough. He's already killing. But how do I make him a super, superstar? And you sit down and say, I'm willing to give you a percentage of the business because I see the potential in you. Those right. are probably some of the best scenarios because you know that person. You know their mm -hmm. work ethic. You know how they're wired. It's an easier decision. I've seen coaches back when I was just doing the, the commercial side of coaching, whether it was an assistant or a salesperson, where after a year or two, they gave up 30, 40, 50% of their company to that salesperson because they were like, the dude works harder than I do. They're mm -hmm. killing it. And if they mm -hmm. had a bigger piece of the pie, I can't imagine what they would do. And in those situations, right. it worked out really, really well. That would probably be my final tip is don't be afraid to be generous with some mm -hmm. guardrails. It's one of those things you, you can put an incentive in front of somebody and say, look, if you don't chase it, I don't lose anything. It's up to you. You've got to chase it. And if they mm -hmm. do chase it, everybody wins. That's oh, a yeah. great position to be in. Great conversation. Like I said yeah. earlier, I think we need to come back and talk about positioning for a sale, what to expect during a sale and, and that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. That'll be a really good one to go through. Thanks for coming on and talking this. I think it right. was really helpful. I really hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, I would really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast and screenshot it and tag me on LinkedIn or whatever social media you use. So thank you again for joining us today and we'll see you next time.